0: It's wrong
1: to want to live on your own
2: For a change, was The Smiths with Sheila Take A Bow. I'm David Eastall. This is The C86 Show. (laughs) Welcome once again to another thrilling ride of life, as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't and some you should. Always playing the finest in—I was going to say indie pop, but it's not really this week because I caught up with Fish, he that used to be in marillion but uh, for decades now he's been doing solo projects and albums. So I'm going to be talking to Fish about life, love, and poetry, and all that sort of groovy stuff, plus the new album tour and much, much more. So I've got that interview that I'm going to break up and give write to you a bit later on but I'm going to play your favourite of mine. I know I'm so predictable but it's that time of year and it always makes me think of winter. Yes this is Meridian, this is Kaylee.
3: Hearts melting on a playground wall, do you remember? Tom escapes from moonwashed college halls, do you remember? The cherry blossom in the market square, do you remember? I thought it was confetti in our hair, by the way, didn't I break your heart? Please excuse me, I never meant to break.
2: I know, I'm having a Proustian flashback. But apparently Hydrocortisone does not work for that sort of condition. That was Marillion, and that's Kaylee, and that was from their 1985 album, A Misplaced Childhood, that we all loved back in the day. Anyway, this is David Eastall, this is the C86 show, song show, and um, this week's special guest is going to be Fish, who, um, well he was in Marillion, obviously he was the front person, but for decades has been... Doing an awful lot of uh, solo albums, and also he's currently on tour. And he's going to be in Norwich on the 4th of December. And he has a new album out. And I caught up with him quite recently um, to talk about love, life, and poetry, and all that sort of groovy stuff. So I've got that interview that I'll bring out or um i was going to say lay on you but that sounds a bit sort of rock and roll in 60s but um i'll just segue it in a bit later but i think we'll have another song track before the first part of that interview and this is from fish and one of his solo albums but i will find out which one a gentleman's excuse me take it away
3: Do you still keep paper flowers in the bottom drawer with your Belgian lace, taking them out every year to watch the colors fade away? Do you still believe in fairy tales in battlements of shining castles, safe from the dragons that lie beneath the hill? Are you still a Russian princess Rescued by a gypsy dancer To anyone who'll listen Is that a story you still tell You live a life of fantasy Your diary romantic fiction Can't you see it's hard for me Can you see what I'm trying to say? It's a gentleman's excuse me So I'll take one step to the side Can you get it inside your head? I'm tired of dancing For every one step forward I'm taking two steps back Can you get it inside your head? Tired of dancing I know you still like Old-fashioned waltzes In the mirror that you flirt with As you glide across the floor But if I told you the music's over Would you want to hear that your dance card Is empty, that there's no one really there Do you still believe in Santa Claus? There's a millionaire For your front door With a key to a life That you'd never
0: understand
3: And all I have to offer Is the love I have It's freely given You see its value When you see what I try to say It's a gentleman's excuse me So I'll Step to the side Can you get it inside your head I'm tired of dancing For every one step forward Taking two steps back Can you get it inside your head
2: the track titled A Gentleman's Excuse Me and that was from uh, Fish and his 2008 album Vigil in a Wilderness of Mirrors. Hello this is David Eastall, the C86 show a bit later on I will tell you how you can contact me because we always love your messages but um, I think we should play the first part of my interview where we were having a long chat about um, actually just parents and getting old and health but after that we (laughs) I know that's what old people do but um, then we got onto the interesting subject that was a life in rock and roll because obviously going back right to the early 80s and still making music decades later does sometimes um, yes it's boggling not many people do anyway this was Fish and this was his reply to that point that I was making Fish take it away
4: yeah I mean well, it's just, you know, it's, just, it's the kind of profession I chose, and it's um, you know, you got to keep working at it. I mean, I think luckily I wasn't uh, affiliated to fashion, you know, and you know, and I think with that, you know, it, it wasn't my my <laughs> my rugged looks that served the songs well. It was kind of, it was you know, I think the songs do for themselves, and I think you know, we Marillion, we we kind of. We moved into what some might call a niche market with progressive rock, which Kaylee, you know, Kayleigh and Lavender for for you know brief moments in in, in the mid '80s, kind of you know threw huge amounts of sunshine onto that little corner. But I mean, um, you know, I think generally speaking, you know, I've, I've 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 maintained the furrow, you know, and so what I've done was, uh, you know, I've been in a situation where. You know, I've managed to carry on creating music, although, you know, I've had to kind of change the way I make it and the way I deal with it. You know, I'm now, I've been independent really since 1993. And, you know, the way that the, the Chocolate Frog record company set up is like we only sell on mail order through fishmusic.scot. And through Amazon, we don't go to retail because, again, you know, the the industry's changed a lot. I think that was why I made a conscious decision to, to go for a and in, 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 in 2020. Because, you know, know, as as we opened up the conversation, it was, I think, um, you know, having, you know, been in a situation where the way we tour is on tour buses. You know, it's not Rolling Stones where you get get a hotel for seven days and a gig every two weeks. You know, it's like we travel every night to gigs, like, you know, Oslo to Bergen to Trondheim. I mean, that's three days on a bus sleeping and then you get a a hotel on the fourth day. And, you know, that can really wear you down. It really wears you down. I mean, but it's, it's something I accept. I mean, and I've really enjoyed it in the past. But I mean, you know, this is the first tour I've actually had to, to pull kind of you know executive privileges, and it's like it's my tour. It's like I'm the guy, I'm, I'm the general here. And I've said, well, the bus configuration because it's a German bus and it's so efficient, we've actually we can configure the bus, and I've said I want a double bed in the front lounge. So I've, I've for the first time, for the first time I can ever remember, I've actually got a double bed on a tour bus, which because I mean, your rest is the most important thing. I mean. It's rest and recovery. I mean, you know, when you're sleeping in in a in a little bunk, you know, when you same when, when you're the height I am, which is six foot four, you know, it becomes like a little coffin, know And you know, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know you, when you're tossing and turning all night, it, it's kind of awkward, and I'm I've you know, fallen out a few times. So this time it's like a double bed just to make sure that I get the recovery. So it's, it it should make it a lot easier. And we schedule the tours so it's like three days on, two, day off, you know, two days on, day off, three days on. So that you know we build in we we build in recovery. You know we do get the rest, and especially on this tour, which is, you know, we open up with forty dates, three in the UK, and then thirty-seven in, in Europe. And then there's a the break and that's when we come down to, to, to Norwich in, in December after we take a two-week break. you know. Yes.
2: Well, that's quite impressive because mm. I spoke to um, dear old Nils Lofgren who, who was in Norwich recently and he was talking about touring and actually one thing that he said that I'd never heard before was that actually he gets homesick now. So he only wants to spend a couple of weeks at the maximum away before he wants to get back home. So how do you... And again, you don't... It's funny see...
4: you should say that. Funny you should say that because that's something that, that's that's coming to my, you know, spectrum of emotions when when touring comes up. I mean, you know, in the past it was always kind of, you were quite excited to go away, but you know where you're going now, you know. But I think, you know, I got married last October, uh, you know, to uh, Simona, my, my German wife, who's, you know, we've been together for seven years. And, you know, I wouldn't even call it a hobby. It's more than a hobby. I mean, we've got a, a very big garden here. So, you know, and it's one of the things that, that we do together and we both love, And it's kind of, you know, wrenching myself away from from this, you know, it becomes a a little bit harder every time. And I think especially this one with it being an eight-week tour, you know, you're very aware that you should be getting the garlic and the shallots and the onions and, and you know, get the autumn plant and broad beans and things. So there will be dialogue on the road between myself and my wife about, you know, how the garden's going on and there'll be various Skype calls, et cetera, et cetera, to kind of make sure everything's kind of, we've got everything between us, we've got everything worked out. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the home homesickness thing does come into it a little bit now, you know?
2: Well, it's interesting when you start having quite sort of animated conversations with your partner about what, what plants you like and don't like and you sort of have to laugh, thinking, I can't believe we're getting a bit heated in, you know, outdoors about... about uh, yeah, well, trout. it's
4: just kind of... Well, well part of, a, part of the, the, the wedding... Because, I mean, my, my wife and I, we'd both been kind of married before and we had enough toasters to get us through, we just said to kind of friends and family, look, we need to build a new greenhouse. And um, so what happened was that... Uh, I'd been changing the, the, the function of the studio more in a kinda a, kind of a re- residential stroke domestic setting. And one of the things we did was we, we, we I took out two massive windows in one of the one of the rooms, um, that were about, they're about six feet by five feet or something and they were like eight millimeter laminated glass and we're going I didn't want to throw them out, it was just such a waste, you know. So we decided to inter- integrate them into the, the into the the, the the new greenhouse, which is now a massive orangery. <laughs> <laughs> so. Which was built in April, so now we're, kind of, we're able to take things through the, through the winter. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff goes on, but I mean, we don't argue about where things go. She's the herb and, and, and flower expert, and I'm, I'm the vegetable guy. You yes,
2: know? oh, it's good to delegate. Oh, well, it was good to have you know, your speciality, because it was interesting to slightly going back to, to the, the musical fashion, because during the 80s, which I suppose was the decade that I became much more obsessed, music had split between, there was that indie pop scene and John Peel stuff, and then there was the mainstream charts with that Trevor Horn production and a bit of LA rock. And then and then you, you came along and slightly got in there, but weren't in either camp, were you? So, obviously, did well, you... That well,
4: was, that was my point I made earlier. It's like we, we weren't kind of part of that Duran Duran Spandau Valley fashion market, you know? And we weren't part of the the heavy metal kind of LA scene, Guns and Roses, Bon Jovi kind of affair. You know, we were kind of in the middle, a bit, bit like Iron Maiden were, you know, as well. And I think, you know, we... we we had a fan base that was very loyal, and I still, thankfully, have a very loyal fan base. And it's, um, you know, they've kind of kept us going, and I think, you know, we've kept, we've continued to make the music. I mean, I would hate to be in a band like Def Leppard where, or a Bon Jovi, where, you know, that is the music you make. You know, it's it's fit to the floor, 444 vibe, you know? And, you know, you're, you're it's... I would find it very constrictive and very restrictive. And I think because I was working in progressive rock, I mean, when Marillion came through in the very early 80s, I mean, you know, we picked up a lot of people that were into Genesis, Floyd and Yes, which again themselves were not fashionable bands. And progressive rock at that time had been, you know, I think the enemy thought they'd eradicated it, you know. (laughs) And that was how we came through the pubs and, and, you know, we played, I mean, a lot of people went, you know, Marillion came on the scene like, you know, like a, a Thunderflash, it wasn't. We we played 180 gigs before we actually signed to EMI. And so we'd already... I mean, and one of the things, the reason that EMI signed us was because, you know, we were selling at the Marquee tw- you know, 12 times a year. And th- that was in the day when selling at the Marquee wasn't the the, the credit restriction of 400. We were putting 800 to 1,000 people in, in there. So, you know, we had a, a dedicated following, which was what really triggered the, the, the record contract. Yes. So, you know, so through the years... Because it was progressive rock, because you can you can work in any style you want. I mean, you know, Man with a stick's got a kinda there's a slightly ethnic feel to it and you know but you know, you listen to the other song Waverly Steps which is on the the Parley with Angels E P that comes out next week. You know, it's, it's fifteen minutes long and it runs right through a kind of funky feel into it's got brass sections, it's got string on it strings in it. And you know, it's not targeted for radio, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, unless you want to go for a coffee break in the middle of it all you know <laughs> yeah, but it's is. um you know it, it's kinda it's it's just music i like I like writing you know and this is' it's the Wechman album that's coming out next may is is designated as my last album because you know even I have got to that point now where I'm finding it difficult to to come up with something that's new and fresh that i'm I'm happy with you know. And I think, you know, in, in 2020, when I, when I retire, I mean, what I really want to go into is, like, kind of joined up writing. And, you know, that's when the autobiography gets done. That's when, you know, I can start working on screenplays. You mean, because I mean, I always wanted to be an actor. I mean, back in the 80s, I mean, it was... Acting was something I really wanted to build as a parallel career, but due to the kind of the the demands of a tour and, and and the demands of being in a band, it was impossible to try and work it. So, you know, I'm now... Uh, you know, I might get some elderly acting roles, but it's uh, but you know, I think you know, that the way in is, is is through doing what I do best, and that's writing. Because I mean, I think at the end of the day, I'm I'm a writer that can sing, rather than being a singer that can write write, write lyrics. I mean, writing is, you know, m- my kind of uh, it's it's my forte really. You know, yes. and you know, if I can explore that through screenplays and and explore that through books and and. You know, I don't have a. lifestyle, I've not got a demanding lifestyle. I mean, as I said, I mean, even in the garden, we, 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 you know, I think if we put a mindset, we could actually become self-sufficient. You know, yes. and you know, with that, it's you know, I don't need a lot of money to sustain. You know what we do here. So I mean, you know, I can I can go into screenplay writing if something works, something happens. But I'm going. I just want to do something that I really enjoy. You know, yeah. and as I said, you know, earlier on, that you know, to be at home you know, is, is, is a, a huge bonus, you
2: know. Yes, indeed. Home is where the heart is. That was the first part of my interview with Fish, talking about life and um, lots about gardening and the creative process. Anyway, this is David East. So if you want to contact me, we always love your messages, as long as they're sort of um, positive and groovy. You can, via Facebook or Twitter, just go to at C86show. I will be there. And as I said, uh, he has a new album out, uh, Parley with... Uh, Angels And also is going to be playing in Norwich on the 4th of December 2018. God, I had to think about the year. Anyway, look, I think we should have some more music and then a bit more chat. This is also going to be taken from Merillion and their um, misplaced childhood. This is Lavender. Excellent stuff. That is uh, Marillion and the track called Lavender from their 1985 album A Misplaced Childhood. This is David Esau. This is the C86 show. And this is going to be the second part of my interview with Fish, where I was talking about uh, musical influences because when I was growing up, my older brother, who was seven years older, was, um, introduced me to the world of Yes Genesis, Wishbone Ash, Barclay James Harvest and all those other prog rock bands that I consumed when I was very young. And um, I was curious. What was Fish listening to when he was in his teen years? Fish, tell us your musical influences.
4: I mean, I think this is this is why my kinda my musical palette is 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 wide and colourful. And I think because, you know, I was kinda too old for the, the Beatles and the Stones, although I was aware of them. I mean they were on the radio, but it wasn't kinda what grabbed me. I mean I loved you know, I can remember Hey Jude being on the radio and stuff and things like that and really liking it. But I mean you know, the first single I bought was Lola by the Kinks and the first album I bought was T-Rex Electric Warrior. But it was really when I went to high school that I got turned on uh, Genesis and Yes and Floyd, you know, and that was the music that really attracted me. But at the same time, you know, I was listening to those, those 70s progressive rock bands, but I was also listening to um, Elton John. You know, I really liked the early Elton John material. I, you know, I enjoyed... I was really into The Who, The Faces, so there was a hard rock edge together with Deep Purple. So, you know, I I was listening to a really wide selection of music at that time. And that's why, you know, you can listen to, for example, you know, Waverly Steps, there's a bit of Peter Townsend, who, you know, I think is a brilliant writer, you know. There's a bit of a Townsend influence, you know, in my lyrics, and that, you know, it's very much... Well, the whole approach to the the Welchmerz album was, which Welchmerz meaning, you know, Pain in the World, you know, I want it to be slightly introspective, but I wanted to deliver everything in third person. And rather than doing, you know, a, a, an album about the world we live in and talking about corporations and and, and body politic, etc., I wanted to take it down to observations, which is probably my, you know, um, what I'm best at with in my lyrics. You know, observing people, observing situations, and writing about them and, and dealing with them in a kind of in a prose fashion. Yes. And you know, and very much man, man with a stick. You know, it was about. You know, watching my father go from being, you know, a, a kind of a, a powerful man and a, a, a fit man, and then watching him, especially in the, in the last year and a half, and, and watching him come to rely on the stick, and that was when, you know, I wanted to write about our relationship with sticks, which might sound kind of a, a bit poorly, but I mean, it, it's like the way that you know we have sticks when we're kids, and they're like swords or fishing poles or drumsticks or battens, and then you go to school, and then you know there's the cane, and that becomes a symbol of power. And then you know, within the song, it examines the next series of, of the song, the, the next series of a relationship with sticks, which is, you know, the the the, the truncheon, the, you know, the riot stick, whatever, the, the the jambok and things, and it's about how you go through your life, and at the end of your life, you know, you go back to relying on a stick to basically keep you upright, you know.
2: Yes, absolutely. And
4: um, it, you know, that's kind of what I like writing about. I like you know, taking little ideas like that and expanding upon them, and 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 constructing stories. I mean, I'm Scottish, I'm a storyteller.
2: Yeah. And did um, bands, because I know both Robert Plant and David Bowie, um, were very influenced by people like the Incredible String Band with their kind of interest in sort of musical mix and fusion and world music and folk music, as well as the Incredible
4: String Band, were a kind of progressive rock band, you know? know, But I think that's why, you know, the progressive rock uh, genre is is attractive to a lot of people, because you can do whatever you want. You can explore ideas throw in lots of different kind of instruments and techniques and styles and genres and things you know and you can you can create it's a lot easier to create stories and do that with than a 4 minute radio restriction you know
2: yes and absolutely sort of explore stuff because because the other thing that i sort of found with most of the interviews I've done with bands is that there's this, a five-year narrative with these bands you know they got together they made a sound and obviously that often doesn't go beyond their friends and family and anybody else they can emotionally blackmail to see but then if they got a bit of radio play and this mostly it was like people like John Peel they got the session then the album and that gave them that boost the second album was often yeah. a bit tricky if anybody ever did America it seemed to be that they that would sort of finish them off and they would come back kind of deranged and just hated each other. So so with your sort of musical lifespan in the band, how did that narrative kind of run? Because you, you joined the band, didn't you? You didn't sort of form that
4: Well I joined Marillion and did four albums and left. Yeah. You know? And then it was um so I mean, you know, well that kind of fits, you know, your narrative there, we didn't break America, you know, for various reasons. But I mean, um it was uh you know, so after I did that, then I moved into my solo career, then there was you know, I was able to, to move around with with different uh, different writers. I mean, you know, I had Mickey Simmons in the first couple of albums together with Robin Bolt and then James Cassidy moved in on the Suits album, then there was Stephen Wilson who's pocup she did Sunsets and Empire with me. And so, you know, I've brought in I've brought in different writers. And, you know, when you bring the different writers in you change the recipe and you know, you change the energies as well. Yes. You know?
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, I suppose that's the one thing about being in the band is that you've got these people and you probably get to know each other pretty well. And I, I have to say, you know, the, the fact that you managed to sort of do four albums in almost a year, which was, you know, in four years, which is almost what the people like the Stones and the Beatles were doing in the 80s, 60s, is, is incredible. Mm. In the intensity of that
4: But I think it's all on the band. I mean, that was the thing. I mean, I think that was one of the problems that we didn't get a break from each other, you know. Yes, I mean, the is coming out in May next year, and the last album that I put out was in what 2012 to 13, which was Feast the Consequences, and before that it was 2007. So you know, I, I'm not because I'm independent and because uh, the way I work, you know, you know, I I'm, I don't have that pressure on me to deliver an album every year, and I think it's it becomes self-defeating, you know, and I think it's I think that's what destroyed And It was like or, or my. My version of Merillion right, yes. was because we were, you know, we were just put to the grindstone, you know, t- too much, and it just it tore everybody apart. Both, um, you know, the, the relationships it became destructive, and you know, and creatively it, it wasn't working. You know, when in eighty in nineteen eighty eight, when I left the band, I mean, what we should have done if we'd had decent management at the time was to take at least a year away from each other. You know, but we didn't do that. But you know, that happened and like, you know, okay, fair enough, I had a great time with them, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, now as as a as a solo artist I determine, you know, the pulse, I determine, you know, the the rhythm of how my career works, you know. And it it does okay, you know, it's it's fine, you know. I'm not selling hundreds of thousands of albums but I sell enough albums to keep myself alive which is great
0: you
2: know? yes well absolutely and obviously as you said you know you can control who you work with when you bring stuff out more than you did at yeah. the end which was bizarre because actually yeah, I mean,
4: like this, this mean the Veltuance album is a classic example you know I mean you know in 2016 you know when when my father passed away I was in a situation where I mean I woke up in the garden six months later you know I mean six months to just disappeared you know and, you know, I was kind of, I, I re- it really hit me a lot harder than I thought it hit me. And then, yeah, I went through various kind of, you know, I had to a back operation, I had, a, I, I had to get an operation on my shoulder because I had badly torn tendons, and that took another kind of six, seven, eight months out, out, out of it all. And it was really, we, we didn't really start putting the bits together until the beginning of this year when Steve Vances, my, my who's been main co-writer for quite a bit, when he came up and it was... um we really started working in February this year, and then suddenly we had the 15-minute Waverly Steps, which is on the palo with Angels EP, and then we had uh, Man with a Stick, and then we had uh, Little Man. Now those three tracks are on on the new EP. But we also had, like, um, there's a song called um, Market Garden, which is another, you know, it's heading to 15 minutes. There's another one called Rosie Damascus, and I realised that, Wait a minute. This is more than a single album. You know, I couldn't just put two big fifteen-minute epics and 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 three other songs or whatever on the album. So we decided, well, okay, let's go for a double. But we also knew at the same time we wouldn't have a double album ready for the tour when it started in 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 the next two weeks. So we said, okay, let's change the entire way we we deal with it. And in July this year, I I I put out my entire solo catalog for on Spotify and and the streaming services. And I put it out for digital download, and I thought, well, you know, why do we approach it in a different way? Let's take a completely different outlook and, and a, a way of releasing it. So we thought, okay, let's release three tracks on an EP, take them out. So we we're playing what is in effect about forty minutes of music together with the Clutching and Straws album, which is which is being played for the last time on 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 this on the tour this year. And you know what we'll do is we'll, we'll carry on writing, which we carried on through the summer. And then we get together in January, February, March again, and in January, February, March, we'll record the next half of, of the double album, you know? Yes. And, you know, and then put it out in May. So it's a completely, it's a completely different approach to, to, to how we release music, but I'm able to do that. I'm able to be flexible, you know, I'm not... You know, the Clutching and the Straws uh, remaster is coming out on Warners on, on the 23rd of November, right? And, you know, dealing with them, you know, we're putting this album out. It should have been out in September, Right. And for various reasons, it kept them getting knocked back, you know. And um, But, you know, dealing with them, they're, they're so inflexible, you know. It's like they must get this, must go to the plant at this point. This is the delivery, da-da-da, dink, 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 dink. And, you know, I found it quite frustrating dealing with them, you know, and, and dealing with this project with um, the Warners people, you know. Yes. You know, it's, it's going to come out, but it's just, it's been, you know, the, the Veltroverse project is, is so much more relaxed and you know, that we don't have those kind of pressures on us, you know, which we always used to have back in the 80s when we were saying to EMI. Yeah, well. I
2: know, admin and rock and roll. That is the second part of my interview with Fish, um, talking about the latest um, album and plus or back catalogue that is actually out on Spotify, if you have such a subscription in your life. Anyway, this is David Esau, and this is going to be a track from the new album, A Man With A Stick. Take it away.
3: Sleeves, the ranks of weeds Battle battle of ash On the edge of a diamond The kiss of be for tumbling Bills, rock
0: and Roll snares, cheerleader Battens, the pencil Scratches
3: on a
2: Indeed, that is Fish, and that was a track from the new album. Um, the song is titled A Man with a Stick, and that is uh, the album is titled A Parlay with Angels that has just come out. So do you buy it and all the back catalogue as well. And I do believe um, yes, well, he has he's on tour and he's gonna be in Norwich this coming week, the 4th of December. Anyway, this is gonna be the third part of my interview with Fish, where I was talking about his early solo material and the 1993 album, Songs from the Mirror. And for those people who are big fans will re- will realise this was an album of cover material. And this was Fish's um, reply to that particular point that I was making. Yeah, I line. mean, I
4: think it was. I mean, you know, I went through in, in, in the late 80s, or the, the late 80s, early 90s, I was... You know, I, I think when I left Marillion, I had to, to take, uh, pay a lot more attention to what was happening business-wise, you know? And I think, you know, but now knowing that that was one of the reasons that split the band up, you know, I had to kind of get up to speed. And that's when I realised that, you know, perhaps the, the arrangement that you and I had wasn't particularly... Yeah, I didn't think it was fair, right? And we had an argument, and I went to court, and I lost heavily. Because, I mean, basically, when you're suing the person that's providing you your wages, they know exactly how much money you've got and they know exactly how to wear you down, right? And then when I signed to Polydor, you know, I was very angry and very bitter about the music business. You know, I had the Internal Exile album came out in 91, but that was kind of written in the period, you know, from Vigil onwards. You know, there were songs hanging about from the Vigil album and we put together Internal Exile, but it was a kind of, it was an album and I didn't really know what I was doing, you know? All the songs in it are really strong. I mean, all this, every song on on Internal Exile is a favourite on on a, on a live stage. You know, you'll find them peppered in the set list. But as an album, it was kind of disjointed because the songs were were all kind of different and it didn't really hang together. And I think after that, I was sort of, I was really worried about what I was going to do next and and what direction it was going. So I kind of uh, I was treading water, and I thought, well, you know let's go i wanted to go back to the songs that i loved i wanted to fall in love with the music business again or fall in love with music again right mm. so i went back to a lot of songs that that were an influence on me when i was a teenager you know and I, I, that's why i put the cover album out and it it gave me time it got me out of the polydor contract at the same time and then i moved into the suits album which i, I worked with with james cassidy and that was the start of you know a, a, another kind of round for me you know it was it was a new team came on board you know, and there was, a, there was a different approach. And then Suits m- pr- got me forward, it, it stabilised me, and then I moved into the, the Sunsets and Empire album, which was the one I watched with Steve Wilson, you know?
2: Yes, so obviously by then... It's
4: it then. It I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, I've remastered all the... The, the only two albums I've not remastered yet, and they're going to be remastered uh, next year, is Vigil Vigil and Mirror Mirrors, my first solo album, which still belongs to U.I., and I've had to licence back, and Internal Exile and they'll be out next September and next year it's going to be one of my last tours is the, the I'm taking visual in a moment in a minute, together with Cast, which is a up and tail and my first solo album, my last solo album together in, in the same set list. Yes. But I mean, um, you know, but I mean, like I said, I mean, I've re-released all the my solo catalogue, you know, as, as, as remasters and they're all like three disc packages so there's you know the main album remastered itself and then there's an album with demos and bits and pieces and then then there's an album of you know, the best live, the best live versions of of the um, of the, uh, the songs. I was
2: going to say um, yes, well, slightly sort of I don't know, it's continuing that or slightly different. But you know, during the '80s, I have to confess, I was a huge Smiths fan, and you know, they they had exactly the same period of kind of time as Marillion And sometimes people say, "Oh, it'd be great to have, to reform," and I always think, "God, what a nightmare!" But the one thing, as a fan, you wonder or hope, I suppose, and this might sound a bit strange, that the members kind of. Still occasionally get on. Now, obviously, with the Smiths, that doesn't happen. It won't happen. There, it will w- be
4: no, there will be no Marillion reunion. Oh,
2: no, no, I didn't want the reunion, but the kind of relationship with the band is often one of the things I you know. The, the, the thing about the Smiths for me, you know, is that you don't want a reunion because actually you can't go back. You know, that's gone, that's been and done. But occasionally you would wish. Yeah, that
4: no, that but that's it's, 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 the, it's the same with me. I mean, you know, I've got a really good relationship with the guys. You know, we worked together on the Clutch and the strawberry master and you know, both on, on the Clutch of Straws and the previous Misplaced Shelby remaster, you know, we've got together and done interviews. And, you know, we've all been in a room sitting talking about those periods. And, you know, we had quite a few laughs. You know, the last one was a bit awkward. I think it was Clutch of Straws because it was my last album. There was a lot of tetchy moments, you know, <laughs> underlined, underscored, right, in 1987, So, you know, when those were being discussed, I mean, we've got slightly different memories of kind of what happened, you know? Yes. And um, so it was... Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just people we get on fine musically. It's you know, I don't really get off on kind of what they're doing. You know, you know, it's 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 great. It's you know, you know, people like it, but it's it's not really my cup of tea.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And it's um, and I think you know that the, you know, what's you know, my voice has dramatically changed. I mean, when I used to sing way back on scripts and Fergazi, you know, I was singing wrongly. You know, I mean, if I'd been to see a voice coach at that time, they would have said you're singing, you're singing badly. You're not using your voice correctly. And I paid the price for that because by the time we got to eighty-seven, eighty-eight, that falsetto that I was using back in the early eighties had, had had gone. You know, it was worn out. And um, you know, and you know, my voice has changed. I mean, it's it's what thirty over thirty years since Clutching Straws album. And you know, if you listen to my music, I mean, I, I prefer my voice these days than than to back then. I mean, you know, when I have had to listen to an old Marillion album, say for example, if we're putting a setlist together and I listen to it, I don't really recognise. You know, it's like, it's a completely different person. You know? Yeah, quite. But, well, it's you
2: know, interesting. Well, yeah.
4: And
2: that's why... No, I was going to say, yeah, that's...
4: No, I mean, that's one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why a reunion won't happen. Because, you know, Steve Rothery, the guitarist, has said that he will never change the keys of the songs. It's like, well, fair enough. It's like, you know, if you can't change the keys, my guitarist can. But if, if Steve Rothery wants, insists on playing it exactly the same as it was then, you know, he takes out, a, a, when he goes out on, on his own solo stuff, he uses a singer from a tribute band, you know, you know, to basically copy what I do, and it's like, well, great, fine, fair enough, you know, I'm taking Clutch and Straws out, you know, this year sounds great, it's still got the soul still got the passion, it's still, there's still great songs, just they're in different keys you know? Yes,
2: no, the idea of sometimes bands reforming I think is, is a disaster but it's... As yeah, a, I think so too As a fan, I would sometimes like to think that they might send each other a Christmas card and say, I know, we all can we all take responsibility, things, you know my responsibility and things breaking down rather than blaming everyone else and that's quite a nice yeah, thing yeah, yeah. as a fan because the, obviously the music means a huge amount to us, the punters, listeners, doesn't it and that's, mm. that's the thing about it, so Yes, so obviously you're you're in a sort of a good personal space and and musically have moved on. Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, we're, we're I mean, as guys, we're all fine. You know, I mean, I get on particularly well with, with Mark Kelly, and Ian Mosley. You know, and it's uh, you know well, it's it's always we have a great when we do get together, which is on rare occasions because of kind of our own our own commitments to like our own careers. You know, it's so like when we do get together, you know, we have some fun fun times, we a lot of laughs. You know, especially Ian and I. You know, yeah, but it's um. Yeah, but I mean, it's, that's all cool. But you know, and it's great. You know, we we made the songs. You know, they're there. You can listen to the songs in Spotify, or you know, you can buy the albums or whatever. You know, and it's great. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. There's there's a there's a little Scottish singer who's just bringing out a version of a Kayleigh, and it's, she's it's, she's kind of revamped it a bit. And it's she I think she's called I Don't Remember or something. Or do you remember? And it's it's a great version, and it's it's wonderful to, to kind of pass that on and to have have written a song that somebody else is covering, you know, you know 30 odd years later, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And just um, just a few last bits that, um, yes, I suppose also sort of thinking about people like David Bowie when he did his Black Star album, which obviously was such a personal thing because he realised he was dying. And then he brought out his musical yeah. La- Lazarus. And I realised when you were talking about, a lot about sort of other things that, you other projects, does things like um, a musical that was slightly based on a story you created with your music ever appealed to you? Because I know that Meatloaf and and Jim Steinmeyer. It has have...
4: been discussed. It has been discussed. I mean, I've been approached for people to take Misplaced Childhood and and turn it into a uh, kind of turn it into a musical. And yeah, it could be interesting, you know. But I mean, it's in the same way as Clutching at Straws, there's there's a there's a, there's a possibility to do something like that. But I've never had the time to sit down and actually construct it, you know, and because it would need to be constructed, you just can't take the album out. You've got to create a whole storyline that, that that threads the whole thing together, you know? And, you know, maybe that's something I can do when I retire. If I might if work with somebody else. I mean, I could always write lyrics for for other artists if, if it if it came along, although it's not particularly interesting. Like I said, I mean, I like to take a step back from music and, and, and work, in, work in another another area, you know?
2: Yes, well, absolutely. And what would you, you know, it's a bit of a corny question, I know, but what would you say to your 18-year-old self, you know, a bit of advice for anybody starting out from the kind of the lessons? Because obviously, you, you know, you've you've been, you know, for decades of music, so there is a lot that you've sort of built up.
4: Mm, I say uh, pay attention to the detail. I think probably that. I think it's very easy to miss things, and I think you know. But you know, back in the day, I mean, you know, if, if I think if we'd known a little bit more about the business side of things, I think it would have helped Marillion a lot. I think it would have been a very different band. But it's, that's a kind of what if thing, you know. What I mean, it's like I'm here and I'm happy, and you know, I've got a beautiful wife, I've got a lovely home, I live in the countryside, I'm 50 minutes off the sea. You know, I'm I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that the the music business has, has been able to provide that. You know, and you know, I'm thankful to be still be able to have another couple of years at it. You know, yes. but it's um, but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you know, back when I, when I was when we signed the deals, we signed those original deals. I think if we'd paid attention to the detail, and you maybe stood up for, to, for ourselves a little bit more, things might have been different. But but then again, it's, I don't really do regrets. You know, I mean, it's like they happened. And they happened for a reason, and it was because of EMI that I eventually moved into, you know, the independent sphere of things in, in, in 93, 94, you know, and if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't gone into that, into this area, then I wouldn't be here now, because, I mean... If I was signed to a major label, I don't do the numbers that would qualify me for being on a major label. And I wouldn't have been able to survive on royalties that, 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 that labels paid, never mind being able to make the albums that I want to make. You know? yes. So, you know, there's a whole yin and yang to it all the way through. You know, I'm happy where I am. I'm happy with my lot. But again, I, I learned from mistakes that I made, you know, back in the 80s.
2: We all made a lot of mistakes in the 80s. Anyway that was um, me in conversation with fish and that's going to be the last part of the interview that i had with him a few months ago and like i said new album and tour and lots um lots planned for the new year but anyway thank you ever so much for listening this has been david easter on the c86 show and um, as i said if you want to contact me you can via facebook or twitter just go to at c86show and i will be there and i will leave you with a track from the album that he mentioned there clutching at straws this was the first single titled incommunicado have a good week
3: The beggars take checks And children steal credit cards From the pockets of wrecks That lie in the road I came to in my future And that was just yesterday Unsure of my past That's a nut in my gut